To me, that's really the powerful thing about open telemetry is that aspect of correlation between the signals. Like, it's never really about those three pillars that people talk about nonstop. It's really about how do you navigate from one data type to another as you're exploring your telemetry. It's gone from this very fringe thing to, you know, much more omnipresent kind of project. It's just about everywhere you look. Hi, I'm Liz Fong Jones. I'm Charity Majors. And I'm Jessica Kerr. And you're listening to Observability Cast, or OlliCast for short, a fortnightly series about the art and science of making production systems observable, easy to maintain, and appropriately reliable. OlliCast is brought to you by Heavybit, a program dedicated to helping startups bring our developer products to market. For more information, visit heavybit.com. If you're interested in being a guest on this show, or if you have a specific topic you'd like us to dive into, you can reach us on Twitter at OlliCast. That's at O-11-Y-C-A-S-T. Three years ago, when it was announced at KubeCon in 2019 that OpenTelemetry was going to merge Open Census and Open Tracing, I think everybody had a great idea that it was going to take, you know, five or six months to merge the two projects and we would have 1.0 in November and everybody would be having drinks and party at KubeCon in November. And here we are three years later and we're now, you know, reaching the point where metrics is stabilizing and logs is stabilizing. And I think a lot of people are asking, you know, like it's been three years, what's, what's taking so long? And I think since your original, the original announcement of open telemetry, the, the community has grown quite significantly. I think from the onset, it was, you know, the open census folks meeting, meeting up with the open tracing folks and going from there. But since then, you know, we've had folks from open metrics joined the community from Prometheus, from Elasticsearch. And, you know, it turns out it takes time to build a solution that, that includes everybody. Um, building consensus takes a long time. And, I mean, that's what we're seeing, really. Yeah, so it sounds kind of like the scope grew almost, right? Like it was initially, let's just mash open, let's just right. uh, mash open census and open tracing together. And instead it became this broad, bigger, broader thing. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, if if we had just mashed open census and open tracing, we would end up with a something that works for a large portion of people that were interested in distributed tracing and for some people that are interested in metrics. But I mean, the majority of folks who are using open source and producing metrics today are very interested in Prometheus. And so, you know, if we hadn't brought the folks from Prometheus to the to the organization or to the to the project, I think the end result would have been very different. And it's, you know, maybe even likely that we would have ended up with still two competing projects, you know, for different signals here. And I think that's that's what we were trying to avoid with the project in the first place, right? Trying to avoid this fragmentation that was happening between open tracing and open census. Cool. Now would be a good time for you to introduce yourself. Hello, I am Alex Bowden. I am a senior staff engineer at Lightstep, and I'm also a contributor and maintainer to OpenTelemetry. I've contributed to OpenTelemetry Python, where I was a maintainer for some time, and uh, I'm now a current maintainer of the OpenTelemetry Collector project. And I've recently finished writing and uh, publishing a book. Actually, it was published this week. I've written a book called Cloud Native Observability with OpenTelemetry, and uh, that's me in a nutshell. 
That sounds like I get to uh, strike that word that says that it's an upcoming book in the observability engineering uh, book that references your book as further reading. So, <laughs> yes, <laughs> congratulations. We both got to the finish line this week then, I guess. Yay, that's so exciting. Congratulations as well. Yeah, congratulations to you. So we we're just talking about this idea that kind of developing this like big tent is really hard. What were some of the things that surprised you about kind of how difficult it was going to be? I guess one of the things that I, I'm always surprised by is how hard it is to come up with something that works for everyone. I mean, most of the time that's not going to be possible. So you just have to find something that everybody can sort of agree on and you know move forward from. But I think one of the one of the things that I've seen in the, in the Open Telemetry project is a lot of the time people will put together proposals and debate it for a really long period of time and come to a place where it's it's almost good enough to be agreed upon by everybody who has been involved in the discussion. And then, you know, someone who maybe hasn't been involved in the discussion, who just noticed that maybe a specification change was about to be merged or something like that. We'll come along and say, hey, but you know, my opinion is this is a terrible idea and we should do it a completely different way. And we really try and be inclusive in the community. So you don't want to flat out reject people's ideas. But at the same time, it's really hard to get the attention of everybody who needs to be involved in a specific discussion. And to do it consistently is really, really difficult, especially in an open source project where, you know, some people are paid to participate in the project, but a lot of people are doing it in their free time or whatever. And so it's it's been interesting. It seems like it's more common than not to see this kind of thing happen where people are just really feeling strongly about a particular feature that you know they only just heard of like yesterday or something like that. So yeah, it's just been it's been good. It's just been really hard to find ways to reach people to be able to make forward progress, I guess, finding time on everybody's day. Uh, are you saying that like the people who come in and want to start from scratch on something that's already been through a long process. Are these people that you wish you could have gotten involved earlier? Yeah. Um, I think in in most of the cases, it's people that would have had a really good idea uh, and we wish we would have gotten involved earlier because then we wouldn't have maybe gone down you know, a particular direction with, with a specific design or, or whatever. And you know, I, I think about some of the early day work in, in metrics, for example, you know, the, the metrics specification has gone through several iterations and it hasn't been until the very last iteration where, you know, we had a, a pretty big kickoff that involved, I can't remember how many people were at this kickoff. I think it was upwards of 50 or 60 people in the Zoom call. You know, that that's when we were able to get enough attention from the different stakeholders to really move forward with, with the specification there in a way that would encompass everybody's needs. So you want all this input and it's really hard to get that input at an appropriate stage of the work. Right, because if you get the input so early that nobody else is paying attention in the project, things just kind of stall out a little bit. And if you get it too late, then it it causes a different kind of stalling, right? Because instead of getting something that's pushed through and merged and people can feel like there's progress being made, um, things stall out because there's yet another thing that we try and bring into the fold here. Right. No one kind of likes that dynamic of, we just finished this design doc. It feels perfect. We've addressed everyone's feedback. Oops, there was a stakeholder that now wants to get involved. Right. And I think that's the challenge that a lot of like big companies go through. And open telemetry is not a company. In fact, you know, as you mentioned, right, like there are people who contribute for work. There are people who contribute in their spare time. And these are also many of the struggles that the Kubernetes project went through too, um, where 
you know, if you're building this massively growing thing that's kind of taken on a life of its own, it gets away from you. Right. I, I think some people have referred to it as kind of the tragedy of the commons a little bit, but I mean, it's not necessarily a bad thing. You look at something like Kubernetes and it's, you know, it's wildly successful, probably beyond what everybody had expected. And, you know, even earlier today, I was, I, I got a message from someone saying, hey, there's this CMS that nobody had really heard of in the community who's now implemented open telemetry. It's like a project in, in Node.js. And it's like, oh, cool. Like we've reached a point where people are just adopting it because it's so, I guess, dominant in, in the space. Which is which is exciting. Definitely a big change from when we had to like do these workshops, like introducing people to the basic uh, APIs and to kind of instrumenting toy applications. We still do need to do this, but like that originally, that was kind of all there was was just you know here's the scaffolding, right? Like let's see what you build with it, as opposed to people just the more advanced users just running with it. Right. Yeah, and I mean, I I do think there's still there's still a decent amount of education to be put out there. Which actually led me to writing this book that I that I published. But you're right. I, I do think we're seeing more advanced use cases. We're seeing a lot more uh, emphasis on things like you know RUM, which people are really uh, excited about, or client instrumentation, you know, messaging systems, who have always been kind of complex to to implement with distributed tracing. Yeah, it's it's exciting to see it evolve for sure. I, I do think. We could be better, and I think there is a huge push in our in the documentation uh, side of things on OpenTelemetry.io to make the content a little bit more approachable for for everybody. And I mean, I, I think for a long time we relied on documentation that was written by the people that have been so deep into the project that they forgot what it's like to not be so deep in the project. Mm, yeah, that loss of the beginner perspective. Fortunately, we're bringing new people into the project all the time, so kind of that does compensate for it. Yeah, and as a beginner, you have something valuable, especially whenever you're looking at the documentation and you see something that confuses you. You have a contribution to make because the people who are deep in that project don't know that that's confusing, and you do. 100%. You will never have that perspective again. It's the opposite of the, like, you know, known unknowns and known unknowns, right? Like, when you're new, there's a lot of things you don't know yet. But on the other hand, there's a lot of things that the people who do know about the project don't know that they know. Right. So that's the unknown knowns. Right. And once you've entered the project, that's it. You've lost that chance to, you know, contribute your very fresh set of eyes to either documentation or readme files or whatever it is that people are struggling with initially. So, Yep. I look like I contribute to like a dozen open source projects on GitHub, but it's all like one line in the readme that they missed. <laughs> That's a total valid contribution, 100%. I wish more people would continue to make those very small improvements, right? Yeah, it's small, but it scales to a lot of people that it helps. Yeah, absolutely. It's almost unfortunate that a lot of the time it's intangible because you know the next person that comes along and sees the clearer documentation you know, they, they benefit from it, but it's hard to know that, you know, oh, it's because this person added that one small line in the documentation that everybody's having an easier time. Like, I, I don't know if anybody's capturing any kind of metrics to see how much better onboarding for a particular project is after every kind of change along the way. Hmm. And it's one of those things where it doesn't necessarily have to be in the repo itself. Like, for instance, I've been really amazed by the quality of LightSteps hotel documentation. I regularly refer people to it, right? Like, it's just really, really good. Right. Yeah, and as a person, just your blog can show up on Google and help someone. Yeah, 
And you know, that's something that's also been exciting is just seeing how many more people are writing on their own blog posts or on dev dev.to or whatever platform they use about scenarios that they're using to either troubleshoot applications using open telemetry or you know implement even simple apps that don't have any examples in other places uh, using otel i think it's pretty it's pretty cool to see how much that's grown it's gone from this very fringe thing to you know much more omnipresent kind of project it's it's just about everywhere you look it's got the critical mass right like you know that you are going to have a robust community and I think that it also helps to have the standards alignment around the W3C trace context as kind of the standard way that we propagate information between processes and OTEL being the easiest implementation of that. Yeah. And, you know, the alignment of the W3C solidifying things like the, the trace context specification and when the tracing signal uh, reached stability. Uh, <laughs> It was almost perfect, right? It was because I, I think W3C reached stability at some point in, I can't remember, it was 2020 or 2019. Now, if only, um, well, this is one of the things that we and our customers run into frequently is if only the Amazon ecosystem would adopt W3C trace context as quickly as possible. But it's hard for them to do so because of the independence of each one of their teams. So even if the X-ray team would like to see trace context adopted everywhere, they can't just magically make this appear on the roadmap of all of the teams that uh, that has context. Yeah, I guess coming back even to your earlier question about why you know why is it why is it so hard for a project like this to to get to where it is, or why is it taking three years? I think some of the some of the things that have been built into Otel around giving it as much flexibility as possible is something that's going to give it longevity, like. You know, for example, you, you mentioned AWS and X-ray um, headers, but the ability to combine headers or combine formats for propagation across different, either different vendors or different formats that have already been open source or, or whatever, and allowing people to kind of use open telemetry where they are today, I think is going to be is part of the reason why it's it's doing so well as far as adoption goes. And actually, that's you know one of the exciting things about the hotel collector is again with all of its existing receivers and exporters, it really gives people the ability to use it as they are in their current state of observability rather than having to migrate to something more complex or something brand new or, or whatever. Yeah, it may have made sense to kind of build your own uh, collector or logging pipeline or tracing pipeline five years ago or even two years ago, but it not, doesn't necessarily make sense to build one from scratch today. Right. You still might want to customize it and manage it yourself. You might want to buffer things in Kafka, but the Otel collector can act as both the thing that puts things into the pipeline and takes things out of the pipeline for sure. Yeah, but don't worry. Configuring the collector is going to keep you in a job. Right. I mean, it's it's just YAML. <laughs> it's How not, hard can it be? Right. Like, what are your actual needs? Right. How many places are you trying to route this data? Or are you trying to transform it? Or are you just using it to kind of kick the tires? And I think that's kind of right. Like, when I originally asked the question in the beginning, I, I think what I had in mind almost was kind of the. Um, dichotomy between how do you support the simple use cases, but also support the full flexibility to do anything right. in a YAML file, right? Like that's the problem with the collectors, that it's all YAML. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I thought YAML was the, the coolest thing for everybody to use nowadays. <laughs> 
But yeah, I guess that's that's another aspect of of OTL that we've we've heard a decent amount of kind of pushback from was just the complexity of setting it up initially, right? I, I think because the project focused so much on the flexibility aspect, there hasn't been a ton of time on maybe the user friendliness or you know the the UI aspect of configuring open telemetry. And I think that's that's something that new users really struggle with, but it does give that flexibility for you know adapting to any kind of scenario that you potentially need, but um, I think that's probably the maybe the next the next frontier of the project once the signals uh, reach stability and there's implementation in all the languages. I think the you know making it easier for people to use is something that would be great. And there's even been some talk of supporting configuration through YAML in the different language implementations. Um, I don't know if that's the right way to go about it, but something along those lines would be great to see. People definitely have been using environment variables to configure things, which works to an extent, right. but yeah, it's hard to manage at scale. And right, like YAML is never going to be a perfect substitute to just you know writing code um, if you can just write code. But sometimes you don't want to write code and you want to manage it like a uh, like an object instead. Right, and using environment variables is great in the sense that you can reuse the same variables across languages, right? Because the implementations all use the same specification for variables. But it does have its limits. Like trying to trying to define arrays or maps inside environment variables is just a nightmare in bash waiting to happen, right? Like that's eventually where people are going to run into problems. Yeah. And I think the other direction with regards to making things simpler is Lightstep has launchers. We have kind of our open telemetry distros. This idea of providing batteries included implementations in case you know that you want to send things to one specific provider as opposed to, you know, I, I want to keep my options open to begin with, right? Like all of your instrumentation is fully portable, but that question of what is your default config can be eased by one specific partner. Right. And that's that's actually another thing that's been interesting is seeing the the feedback we've been getting around something like a like a distro or a launcher. I think uh, again for the, I guess for the the newcomers to the project, it really does help them get up and running more quickly. I think there's some questions from that we've seen from from folks around whether or not the project is so complex that it requires some kind of a layer like uh, a distribution or to wrap it. I mean, I don't necessarily see it as a bad thing because you know having the defaults pre-configured for users is not necessarily a, a bad thing. But I do I do hear what the concern is there around. Well, if it's so complicated to configure out of the box, like why is it so? The collector has some lovely abstractions in it of of a pipeline with the the inputs and then transformations and then the exporters, which yeah is is non-trivial to have to define yourself, but it does have that that conceptual elegance and flexibility for later. Once you wrap your brain around the verbs and nouns, right? Like I think it's this verb and noun that people haven't had to think about before. Yeah, yeah, you have to get those concepts. Fortunately, you can do a lot without a collector just for trying it out. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny that you mentioned getting your head around the kind of the names or the verbs that are used in the collector. And, you know, it's, I mean, naming things is hard. <laughs> I, I think that's really what it comes down to forever and always. You know, there's things called receivers in the collector. Well, they receive data, but they also go out and, and scrape data from different targets, which is really confusing conceptually. Ooh, active receivers. Right. <laughs> 
right? Yeah, yeah. The one that gets me is resource, mm. right? Right, which from metrics historically has meanings, but coming at these concepts from tracing, resource doesn't doesn't mean like host until I have to figure out that that's usually what it means. Right. Right, exactly. The notion that the resource includes the service name and that it includes right, like all of these the thing I wish we'd said is these are the default set of tags that will get applied to everything, right? Like that's that's what it means. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah, effectively a resource is just another key value store where they do get added to every span, but you can only have one of them per uh, process. Yeah, I guess if you I mean if you think of the resource as the source of the telemetry I mean, then it kind of begs the question, why wasn't it just called the source of the telemetry instead of a resource? But I don't know. I, I wasn't involved in the early days of of, the, of those debates. I'm sure I'm sure there were lengthy OTEPs around this. I'm sure I could have like jumped in at the last minute and commented on that, uh, <laughs> that change process. I don't like minute. this name. This name must be wrong. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, we can definitely educate people now that these things are stable, right? Like, I think that's the other piece is the stability means that when you publish a resource, that the resource can be reliably and repeatedly used instead of having to constantly update the, uh, the, I just said resource, but I mean, the resource as in the educational resource. (laughs) See, see, (laughs) but I can say open telemetry resource and I can scope the word in something that is a proper noun that refers only to this concept, and it's an established concept with stability. Yeah, which I think brings us back around to the subject of the books. Um, so what's in your book? What can people expect to see when they pick it up and read it? Yeah, so the, the book is kind of broken into four different sections. The first part is really about talking through a little bit of the history of observability, talking about the building blocks of observability, the concepts around you know metrics and traces and logs and where it came from, and really just helping the readers getting their bearings on you know what what this whole observability thing is all about. The second the second portion gets really hands on with the implementation, uh, specifically around the Python implementation, but it it dives into the the nomenclature that OpenTelemetry uses for things like providers and uh, like tracers or or meters. And so the you know the, the second part really focuses on implementing the signals using OpenTelemetry. Uh, there's a little bit even on auto instrumentation and how that works in uh, Java and in Python as well. And the third part is really about the collector, uh, what it is, why it's useful, why would people want to configure it. Uh, it talks a little bit about its extensibility and the different components like the exporters, receivers, extensions, and, and whatnot. It also dives into uh, the open telemetry protocol, uh, just you know what what it is and why it exists. And then the last section is about okay, so you've generated all this data. What do you what do you do with it? And so it it explores different open source backends that you can use to to visualize data and to collect it. It also talks a little bit about different scenarios that you might be able to to use telemetry to troubleshoot an application or get to the root cause of a of a particular problem. That's kind of the different sections. I try to write it in an, in a way that's approachable for people that aren't deep into the land of observability because I felt like a lot of the resources out there can be, I don't know if intimidating is the right word, but like to, to people who haven't been in, in observability for a certain amount of time, it could be 
could be hard to get your bearings uh, a little bit. So I tried to approach it with fresh eyes. They assume a lot of knowledge, a lot of terminology, and and some philosophy. Right. Def- definitely a lot of terminology, and you know, I tried to explain the concepts in as clear language as I could. Hopefully, it worked. I, I don't know. I'm sure the readers will tell me if it's if it worked out or not. Yeah, so it sounds really interesting, kind of this juxtaposition of both of our books, because the book that Charity Majors, George Miranda, and I wrote is much more about the kind of organizational philosophy of observability. And yes, there's a chapter in there about, you know, using OTEL to create choices, but it's kind of a, you really should look at a more in-depth resource for how to do it in your specific language. I'm just showing you what this looks like, you know, with Go as an example. But I'm not going to get into the details of, you know, how the meter works and how to configure it. And instead, it's, you know, just this stub that says, you know, hey, like, you know, when it comes time to implement it, here's some ideas, but I'm, there's not room in this book to, to expand everything about OTEL, right? Like, so I think these two things go very nicely together, right? Like the how versus the why. I'm really excited to read about it. To be honest, I, I purchased a copy some time ago. I'm still waiting on it, so... Yeah. So this is your book has been in the works for like a year or so. Our book has been in the works for like three years. Ah. Did you get to work on this at work or was this like a, a side project? Um, so the folks at Lights Up have been super supportive of the project. I think I, I unfortunately didn't, I didn't really lean into that support as much as I, sh- as I could have. Uh, I, I ended up spending a lot of weekends and evenings writing this book. But it's been, uh, yeah, it's been super interesting. And, you know, in the past year or so, the challenge for me was really focusing on ensuring that whatever was being written wasn't completely out of date by the time it was being published. Yeah, but we have the same challenge, right? Like, in a lot of ways, I'm glad that we had two extra years to marinate on the book um, while the pandemic broke out and while we were adapting to all of that, because that also allowed Hotel to mature that also let us collect a wider variety of stories from people who had successfully adopted the observability uh, organizational strategies. Um, right. Yeah. Kind of having that, uh, you know, once it's in dead tree format, it's, you know, you, you can't really change it. You can change the online version, but you can't change the print version. And that's, that can be hard. Right. And I mean, uh, you know, a huge portion of, of the book that I wrote relied on things like the metric specification and that, that, that was constantly changing along the way. So I think I've rewrote the chapter on metrics maybe three different times. And it's still probably going to be out of date by the time you know people really get to reading it. But you know, you kind of try and capture that moment in time at which you you write it and you you have to move move on from there. If there's one thing that I've learned about technical books is that more often than not they tend to be just behind where they were when when they were originally printed. But that's okay. People can go to the link and go to the Git repo because it's not like people are typing verbatim off of the page anyway. Right, exactly. And like with your book, I'm excited to read the part about the collector and the part about um, the hotel standards and the concepts involved because the concepts are stable. Right. The concepts are stable. And also, like, I've not been keeping as much on top of the uh, metrics and logging APIs as I should have been because my primary focus has, had been on bootstrapping the tracing efforts. So, yeah, that's that's going to be a very good read for me. One thing that I was curious about is you mentioned kind of orienting around the signal types that people already know, right, in terms of tracing and metrics and, and logs. Kind of how do you wind up framing the separation between, like, the data types versus what you use them for? You mean within within the context of the book, or 
yeah, within the context of the book, kind of how did you how do you get people to think about the you know when to use use each signal type? You know, just avoiding the collect all of the signals impulse that people often have. Yeah, I mean, I think I tried to capture it in the in common use cases for each one. I, I think that's generally how I try to frame it. Is you know, here's what distributed traces are, and here's roughly you know some common use cases for when you would use distributed traces. I tried to steer clear of being too prescriptive about when people should use particular data types, just because I've I've been in the industry long enough now to know that there's always nuances of when one particular signal or one particular data type makes sense and and when it doesn't. And so I try to give people general guidance without being prescriptive, and that's kind of how I I try to approach it. I mean, I think the the last. One of the last chapters is is which talks about using the signals. I try to describe how you would use correlation between the signals to really solve problems using using the telemetry that you're generating, and hopefully that's you know I I think if if nothing else I I hope that's what people get out of reading the book. I think that's really to me that's really the powerful thing about open telemetry is that aspect of correlation between the signals. Like it's never really about those three pillars that people talk about. Nonstop. It's really about how, how do you navigate from one data type to another as you're exploring your your telemetry. Mm-hmm. And I, and in my opinion, right, like that is the thing that is strongest about open telemetry is that ability to not have to change context, not have to change methods of measuring, not having to change your verbs and nouns. Right. Awesome. I'm really glad that both of our books are coming out the same week. That that is so exciting. Yeah that that'll be exciting. I mean i I've never written a book, so I, I have no idea what to expect as far as, you know, I guess feedback from from folks out there. So I, I hope people read it and, you know, reach out on whatever format they use, whether like Twitter or whatever, to to talk about the book. So what are kind of some of the next milestones that you're hoping to see for for your uh, professional career and for open telemetry? Yeah, I mean, I guess I I'll start with open telemetry because it's it seems easier. I hope that we can get to this GA implementation for metrics across the different uh, implementations. I know there's there's some big pushes from both the folks in in Go and in Python to try and get a, a release candidate that supports the GA or release candidate before GA for for the metric signal. And then I guess just wrapping up the last of the the signals with logging and and ensuring that that's in a place where people can can count on it. Just to get to that place where we can start making progress towards seeing a wider adoption of OTEL in those signals. So one one of the challenges with open telemetry is making sure that the instrumentation libraries out there are are meaningful to people in the sense that you know there's a bunch of instrumentation libraries for third party libraries that have been created as part of the OTEL project. And I think one of the challenges there is there's always going to be more libraries, third party libraries, and there are instrumentation libraries. And I would really like to see OTEL be adopted by open source projects, by the the experts in those projects using the open telemetry API rather right. than yeah we've talked for so long about the idea that the contrib repos should not need to exist forever because they should just be baked in absolutely into each of these libraries. Yeah. So the Postgres client should have its own open telemetry span creation that you can turn on or off. 
Right. And we've seen this with, I think, uh, you know, Spring is one of the one of the frameworks that came to the hotel table. I know that on the Python side, the Celery folks came to the, the SIG to talk about, you know, using the API directly. And I think if we're successful as a project, those instrumentation libraries will just go away and disappear completely, at least for the languages where it's possible to do so. Yeah, and I can see a lot of parallels to the um, TypeScript world, where for a long time there have kind of been these, like, you know, definitely typed. Everyone, like, you know, contributes these, like, you know, things that are outside of the main repo that are like, here are the types for this library. Right. But eventually you just bake them into the library because they're expected and default and, and commonly supported. And you know, TypeScript is a large ecosystem, and there are definitely a lot of projects that don't yet have types, but definitely that kind of momentum has clearly shifted, and I hope we get there with Otel as well. Yeah, and you know, I think tracing is is something that not a lot of open source projects have adopted, but metrics, we know for sure that you know that's something that's pretty common. Like just about every just about every database, for example, implements some kind of metrics that it emits, right? And if if that could be translated into something that's OTEL compatible, then that would be that would be wonderful. You know, if it was rather than having to have even these receivers that scrape, you know, different database types, if they could just emit OTLP and you can just ingest this one format, it would be it would be wonderful. Yeah, and SQL Commodore 2 really makes me excited. The idea that we can get context propagation through SQL statements and be able to trace slow queries back to the uh, app query that, that initialized them. Right. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of exciting work ahead. And I think to kind of answer for myself, at least the question I asked you, I think the thing that I am hoping will become possible at some point in the future is the idea of the, you know, so far the uh, the vendor and end user pendulum mostly has shifted towards vendors as far as like, you know, at Honeycomb, we tend to hire a lot of people who used to uh, use Honeycomb as our clients um, and, now, and now work at the company. And one day I would like to see that flow the other way too, to have people who are really excited to use Honeycomb or to use OpenTelemetry, right, and to contribute back to OpenTelemetry, but employed by an end-user company. And I, you know, Shelby Spies, who previously was a host on Ollicast and previously was a developer advocate at Honeycomb, is kind of one example of those folks. And I'm hoping that there will kind of be many more folks who migrate over the coming years from vendors to to end-users and are still able to contribute to the project and uh, deliver a lot of value. Right. Yeah, and this actually brings up another exciting thing with with Otel is this notion that people will be able to take this take this tool and just kind of carry it with them wherever they go. You know, when people change organizations or even teams within the same organizations, um, not having to relearn the tools or adapt to whatever is currently existing, I think is is ex- super exciting from a from a developer standpoint. So one of the benefits of not having vendor lock in, it's not just about what that vendor might be costing you. It's also about portability of your knowledge. Right. And not having vendor lock-in on the side of instrumenting code or or emitting producing telemetry, I think is it's kind of a win-win for for everybody involved, right? Like it's a win for vendors because we don't have to maintain these really cumbersome libraries that we've, you know, written for or supported for a very long time. Um, from the user standpoint, they don't have to relearn the tools whenever they want to try a different vendor, and I think that's that's incredible, right? I mean, that's one of the really exciting things that Kubernetes achieved, for example, where instead of having to relearn your different um, platforms every time you again switch teams or, or whatever it is, you don't 
you can just take your Kubernetes knowledge and apply it to AWS Cloud or to GCP or to wherever else you know people are supporting Kubernetes. Faster onboarding is such a huge benefit because a lot of teams spend so long like trying to onboard their their new folks onto this is the way we do things and standardizing that is just so great. Yeah, because Kubernetes like incorporates a lot of concepts that you don't know as just a developer. You don't know about like network interfaces and um, a lot of other words. But then you learn those with Kubernetes and they go everywhere instead of having to learn platform-specific ones. Right. It's the same like, I don't want to read a book about Prometheus, but I do want to read a book about open telemetry concepts that are drawn from dozens of projects worth of experience and coalesced into one really well thought out API that I'm going to be able to use everywhere. Right. I do think the interesting thing about Prometheus specifically is that, sure, I might not want to read specifically about the Prometheus implementation details, but I do think that it is, we're entering this interesting world of, okay, open telemetry is for generating data, transmitting it. But the open metrics query spec is really interesting for being able to interact with a metrics backend, for being able to fetch data out of, you know, whether it's Wavefront or it's Prometheus or it's Cortex, right? Like to use a metrics backend in a consistent fashion, regardless of which one you've chosen. I'm very curious to see what that effort is going to look like with regard to the query side of tracing or the query side of logs one day. I guess the universal factor for query side of logs is kind of grep and regular expressions. Right. <laughs> the the tool, the universal tool for logging is always grep. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting to see. Uh, I'm excited to see what comes out, you know, in the next couple of years around kind of unified queries. I think, you know, with, with Otel, for example, because the data is just about always correlated across your signals, um, making it effortless for users to be able to you know, put a single query for maybe uh, a resource or, or maybe a particular trace ID and seeing your data come out across your different signals. I think that's super powerful. And so I think there's a lot of a lot of exciting things happening in the observability space around around that. I think, you know, we've seen something come out, I think it was announced last week around Tempo or something from Grafana that was announced uh, around being able to query across uh, different signals. I think that's, I mean, that's really the future of observability, right? Yeah, and also I think I'm really excited about OpenSLO, which kind of has a similar idea of how do we take this observability data and produce high-quality SLOs from it. Yeah, and actually coming back to Otel with high-quality data, I think the one thing that people underestimate is the value of semantic conventions. Being able to, being able to know what to expect as a as a user, as a vendor, being able to know what you should be emitting as a you know brand new user to Otel or to observability. I think it's it's so exciting having that guidance there. It's and you know it's codified and people can use libraries to produce the the to use the semantic conventions. I think super exciting. You don't have to debate with your teammates what to call this and whether to use yes. a dot or an underscore. <laughs> yes. How many how many different ways can you misspell you know keys to a key value store? Awesome. Well, thank you very much for joining us, Alex. It was a pleasure having you on the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's been great. That was a delightful conversation that I enjoyed and hope you did too. If you're interested in being a guest in this show, or if you have a specific topic you'd like us to dive into, you can reach us on Twitter at OllieCast. 
To learn more about HeavyBit, visit heavybit.com. And while you're there, check out their library. It's packed with amazing talks on sales, marketing, product, and general management from founders of developer tools companies and other industry leaders. Hope to see you next time.